Hello, everybody. My name is Jason West, and this is the first 2019 very special extended episode of Pod Class. Got a great show for you today. I have not one, but two guests. First being Isaiah Walker, and the second being Oscar Lopez. Both of them have never met. They don't know each other at all. So why are they on the show together? Well, they kind of are and they kind of aren't. Uh, they are actually former students of mine who are now in college. And what's really interesting about Isaiah is that he actually was a teacher, sort of. He was put in charge of a gospel choir at the high school in which I taught him. There was a an adult that would supervise, but for all intents and purposes, he was the teacher. So I brought him onto the show to talk to him about what his perspective was like uh, as a student who was also a de facto teacher, what his experience has taught him about the world of education, and maybe where he sees himself in education in his future. My other guest is Oscar Lopez, who may be one of the smartest students I have ever met. He is a junior at Yale University, and his story is just, it's fascinating, it's compelling, it's pretty remarkable, and as long as I've known him, he has had this preternatural ability to understand how students work, how the world of education functions, and for the longest time, he had expressed interest in being a teacher. And as he's gotten older and gone into college, that interest has kind of gone away. So I brought him into the show to talk to him about that, ask him, what is it about the world of education where there are countless people who, as they are growing up, are lining up to be teachers? They all want to be teachers. They're highly qualified. They are really excellent candidates. And then somewhere along the line, we lose them. So what are we doing? How are we losing these remarkable people to other industries? So I brought Oscar on the show to talk to him about that and, of course, his own observations of being a student in the South Central area of Los Angeles, California, in an extremely underserved community coming from a background with severely limited education in his family. So uh, two very interesting guests who, again, have not met one another, but uh, yeah, you're going to want to stick around for both interviews. There is a, a lot to glean from these two. All right, before I start the show, I'm going to, as I always do, briefly recap my week and share what tea I'm drinking today in a quick segment I'm calling Tea Capping the Week with Mr. West. Okay, so the tea I'm drinking today is a Darjeeling tea from Mariage Frere called Namring Queen Upper. It is my fancy AF tea. Let me tell you, <laughs> I got this tea in Paris, and it was tray expensive, but tray worth it. To give you an idea about this tea, Darjeeling tea gets its name from an area of India where the tea has been grown for nearly 200 years, uh, Darjeeling is located in the Indian state of West Bengal, 
and the area is so high above sea level, and the air is so thin that a lot of people actually believe that the physical environment itself, not the plant, but the physical environment, has actually influenced the delicate and fairly sublime taste of the tea that uh, it's produced. Darjeeling is an incredibly special tea because it is produced exclusively in this region and in the tea world, which is the coolest world, obviously, Darjeeling is held in the same reverence as champagne. It's the champagne of teas, which could not think of a more appropriate drink to talk about how I am so excited about the new year than with the champagne of teas, Darjeeling. Which brings me to my recap of the week. Happy New Year, y'all. Cheers. Man, I am so excited for this year. Really, more excited than I felt in a few years now. Uh, I'm not quite sure what it is, but it suddenly feels like there is a lot of optimism and opportunity on the horizon. Maybe it's because I am so close to finishing my master's uh, in May. Thank you very much. Maybe it's because... People are already announcing that they're running for president, and that's a sign that this president is, hopefully, fingers crossed, on his way out sooner than later. Uh, Maybe it's because I've been doing all this yoga lately to help with my bad back. I don't know, maybe the meditative workouts have bolstered my optimism for 2019. Or, hey, maybe it's because I'm just so excited about what the next few months of this show are bringing. I've got some awesome guests lined up, some new segments and games, just a lot of fun stuff coming up starting with today's episode and going all the way until the season finale in April. So uh, yeah, stay tuned. Okay, so as I said, this is going to be a very special extended episode. As you can tell when you probably looked at the file, it is a little bit longer than usual. Normally it's about an hour, but we're going probably around an hour 15 for this one. So I should probably cut the decapping short and just start the episode, yeah? Okay, let's get the show started. But first, a quick fake commercial break. Today's episode is brought to you by Staplers. Staplers, the only office supply that jams up more than the copy machine. So, so welcome to the show. Thanks Thank for you for having me. So, I talked a bit about you in the introduction, okay, and why I am having you and Oscar on the show. Perfect. Uh, so, let's quickly recap a little bit, though. You, you've actually had experience as a, a teacher, and I'm I'm using air quotes, but it's not really because you kind of re- you really were a teacher. You just weren't. You weren't listed on the grade book? Yep. Um, how did that come about? So basically, so I was in the hospital my ninth grade year, 
And when I was in the hospital, there was a mini... I was like, that's a really interesting way to start your career <laughs> in education. How'd you become a teacher? Well, I was in the hospital. Exactly. Because that's where my inspiration came from. So when I was in the hospital, it caused me to like really sit and think a lot. Mm-hmm. And so when I was already at Wilson High School, um, you know, I was in the choir program and I was just sitting there in the hospital one day thinking, it would be so dope. And I use that word perfectly in this sentence. It would be so dope <laughs> if Wilson had a gospel choir. So, you know, one of the first things that I told myself that I would do when I got out of the hospital and when I was able to return back to school because I was being homeschooled at the time was to start a gospel choir. So 10th grade year. And you could have started a club. Yes. Right. And I did. The first when I was in 10th grade, I started it as a club, Mm -hmm. the Woodrow Wilson High School Gospel Choir as a club. And the first year, you know, it, it was okay. I was still battling my disease heavily, so I would miss rehearsals when they were supposed to be here and it was the idea was great but i did mm-hmm. not have the um wherewithal to really well on top of that it's your first year running anything very true uh, facilitating anything in a way that it, you know and again i hate to say like like a teacher but kind of yeah because right? you're, you're you're teaching concepts you're trying to get people engaged on their free time exactly and you're taking people who i grew up in church You're taking people from the beginning of gospel choir. I never had over 20% black students. So you have majority of the students that were um, participating Mm -hmm. did not grow up in gospel culture. Mm. So I had to teach you how to, you know, tone, like tonatically sound a certain way or, you know what I mean? Certain emphasis. So the first year, like I said, was that was, that was that, you know, but the second year I analyzed what went wrong per se, the first year. And I also wasn't expecting the amount of people my first yeah, how year. Many, how many my first year, my first meeting had 89 people. Wow. After that, I almost never had under 40. Hmm. So managing that, and I, I didn't know, I didn't know how to do that. That's, that's, that's a, that, that is a trip. I, yes. uh, I mean, you know, I started uh, T-Club. T-Club. <laughs> I started T-Club. I was like, all right, maybe like 10, 15 people. Uh, is I had to stop it at 140 because it was just like, I, look, I can't, I can't handle all of you at once. Yep, it's too many kids, uh, and I'm an, and I'm an adult with over a decade of teaching experience. I cannot imagine a tenth grader, yep, rolling in saying, "I'm going to start a gospel choir," and then having over, what is it, 80? You said yes, over 80 people coming in saying, "All right, show me how to do this," and it was different because. You know, I've been teaching choirs since I've been 11 years old. But right. when I'm directing choirs, I'm always directing choirs. So majority of people are over 40. They have a certain um, acumen about themselves. Mm. They have a certain way they hold. I'm not telling you to put your phone up. Yeah. You know, I'm <laughs> they're not, not children. No, they're not children. No. You know what I mean? They, and, and they know gospel. So I can give you, you know, one, two, three, and you're like, ah, you know, and we're already there. So 10th right. grade year, I, I mean, 11th grade year, I analyzed what I did wrong, and I really just refined, you know, mm-hmm. there were less numbers, but I really just... Did you end up doing rehearsals to yes. cut out some of the... And we were also doing, after that, I said, you know what, lunch, 30 minutes is not enough, mm-hmm. because you have this lunch period, and you start it, and it takes people 15 minutes to get there. Okay, then in 15 minutes, you're done. That's that's no time. You know, time. It's, it's really interesting, because you bring up a really good point that I have been sort of wrestling with uh, for the last half of this last year, actually, because mm. I'm, you know, I'm trying to refine my teaching practices. And one of the things that that has come to my attention is the idea of um, assigning lunch detention as a time for kids to come and make up work. But like you said, lunch is about 30 minutes. And there are kids who need to eat lunch because 
their own free and reduced lunch. Exactly. And that is the only, only meal, meal they get. That they're going to get. Uh, that day or potentially the only meal that they're going to get or the only complete meal. And so now you're giving a student, you're putting them in a position where they have to choose between do I do my academics or do my do I go to my gospel choir? Or do I eat? Or do I eat today? And that is such a hard place to put them. And I don't think that's any time. Basically, our lunch period time is only, and I think a lot of times nationwide, just for you to simply eat lunch. Mm-hmm. But if we want to ask our kids to be involved and we only give them 30 minutes, it takes them 10 minutes to get out of their class. Now they really only have 20. How do you expect kids who, especially at Wilson, where you have a large number of students, that's the only meal they're going to get. Right. It's not like it's we a only very have. Campus. Yes, it's it's not like we only have ten mm-hmm. percent of our students are on free and reduced lunch. Right. You have a large number of students on free and reduced mm-hmm. lunch, and I have people text me every day for gospel choir if it was at lunch. Hey, I have to go get lunch. Right. And we're very candid where this is the only free meal right. or guaranteed meal that I'm going to get today. Mm-hmm. And it was some students that you wouldn't look at and think that. Right. So. Understanding that, I said, okay, let me go ahead. Let me do some after-school rehearsals. You know what I mean? And that was where I was really, you know, in the year and a half by that time that Gospel Choir had been, um, you know, created, I don't think until I had an after-school rehearsal did we really do anything. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Worth, worth, you know, worth anything. And at that time, Curtis Hurt, Mr. Hurt, um, the... um, He's a choir teacher slash, I believe he's the head of the music department. Yes. The choral department. I know he is. Mm-hmm. At Wilson, he really started, you know, seeing my work ethic and seeing potential in it. He always believed in gospel choir. And from day one, he told me as a 10th grader, he said, I really want to turn this into a choir because I believe that the choral department needs this. Mm. And when he said that, I, I, I like I put it behind me because... I'm, I'm, what do you mean? Like, I'm a student. Like, what do you mean? Like, okay, yeah, I'll let you take over, I guess, when I graduate. Exactly. (laughs) Like, I didn't really understand. I didn't understand that. I'm going to be completely honest. So after 11th grade, after my junior year, you know, I was consistent. It was consistent. Mm -hmm. You realize we had a sound to us and whatnot. Did you put on shows? Well, not at that particular time, Mm -hmm. but already at that time, I was in the um, district honor choir Mm -hmm. and the head of the, 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 all of the, I guess the arts, I forget his name, but he saw me direct and he was like, you need to turn this into something like this, this, this needs to be something. And he pulled me aside and I was like, okay. And then Mr. Hurd at the end of my 11th grade year, he was like, Hey, um, I was dead serious when I said that I want to turn this into an actual academic class. And I was like, wow. When he said, he was like, as you, as the director, like, you know, yeah. so when you say, oh, it wasn't blah, 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 you know, me being on the the grade book, here's the thing. So we had, were trying to go through this process. We had already got the, the class approved by the district. When we got the class approved by the district, then mm-hmm. we had to go back to Wilson and we had to get the class put on um, the roster for students to be able to choose it. Well, they went back and forth and they didn't have the class number. Mind you, we did all this stuff by the time it was supposed to be due and it wasn't showing up on people's grade books. So it was supposed to come on their grade books, you know, gospel choir, you know, was right. a gospel choir. And Isaiah as a student director, just like the dance program has it and they'll have blah, blah, blah. And they'll have it listed as Savannah Irving is the student director. Shout out to Savannah, who was a student director. You know what <laughs> I mean? So that process wasn't able to get done. So it was almost really not going to happen. But you're so then what it sounds like is your situation is not wholly unique, at least in our district. Yes. Uh, of, people higher up in the district or on campuses recognizing student except exceptional student talent yes and 
giving them sort of the keys, giving them a bit of the freedom saying, all right, we will supervise, mm. but take it and run. Yeah. That's kind of amazing. Yeah. That's not something that you hear about all too often. Not at all. And I know I was super grateful for the opportunity because, and I still didn't understand what that meant. Cause you could have been someone who had all the talent that you yeah. had and all the drive, but you could have been in a, in a different district where exactly. the doors were always shut and locked. But here you were, and you took advantage of that. I took advantage of it. That's great. So then you get your class started. Yes. How did you approach turning a club into a class? I didn't understand that until the first <laughs> day. You were like, oh, it's going to be the same. And then you get there and you're like, oh, wait, I need like, I need standards. I exactly. Need now, I need my, mother's a, my mother's a teacher. Both of my parents are educators. My mother's a teacher. My mm-hmm. father's a professor. Did they give input? They did give input. So they said, you know what? I know you think, huh, but you need a lesson <laughs> plan. You know what I mean? You need to have an idea on what you're going to do. Um, you need to have a goal mm-hmm. with your students. Um, but my dad you sat me down. all about backwards planning. It, all that, which I didn't, you know, I heard it all my life, but I didn't realize I was going to have to do it, you yeah. know. And my dad sat me down. He said, look, he said, you take this opportunity. And he said, and I'm going I'm to paraphrase it, don't F it up, basically. Mm-hmm. He said, be authentically you. Make sure you take it seriously. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, you have 20 however so students looking up to you and under your supervision for two hours. Mm. You know, and so the first day I get there, you know, there's a lot of students that I didn't know that just, you know, end up signing up. And Mr. Her goes, yeah, I have that? some men. You, I imagine you thought you were going to get the same kids. Yeah. You got I didn't know got. majority of the people in there. Wow. Which, like I said, the first day I was really like analyzing. Whoa. <laughs> then Mr. Her goes, I have some guys in my chorus class, um, but there's only a couple. So I'm just going to give them to you. Wow. All the all the men that he gave me. Every mm-hmm. last mail that he gave me was either in a retention program, mm-hmm. gang affiliated, um, or aspiring to be. Mm. Yeah, they 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 were an at risk, extremely student. at risk. Okay, I would say my girls probably fifty percent of them at risk, but my guys, except for one, every single last one of them was at risk. And and how did you approach this? Because you're. You're looking at it going, I'm a kid. I'm yes, a student. Yes. How how do you approach having that kind of responsibility? I had to approach it like this. I said, you know what? These students go their whole day and they, they get in a classroom with a teacher who they, you know, probably don't necessarily care for, a mm-hmm. teacher who maybe um doesn't understand their mindset or their culture as a young person, you know what I mean? And there's no excitement to their day, a lot of these kids. Because these are, I didn't get the students who got priority choice for their class and were taking AP this and AP that and wonderful. I didn't get those students. I didn't have almost any of those students. So I had students who were mostly taking classes that they really didn't have a choice counsel, but you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I said, for these two hours, I'm going to make this experience an experience that my students look forward to coming to school every day. How many students do you think took your class thinking... I'm taking this because it's run by a student. It's an easy A. 90% of them. Wow. And how do you combat that? Um, at the end of the day, this still is an academic class. Right. And if you know Isaiah Walker, I don't want to do anything mediocre. <laughs> and if you hear the sound and the tonality of my choir was not mediocre. No, and I mean, your choir was, I mean, it's very impressive. And I had to tell them by day one. I don't want to be good. I want to be great. Yeah. And there needs to be work put into that. There needs to be work. No kid. When then when you got to the actual 
this is now the class. Remember, we had the two years of the club. You get to the actual class. Mm-hmm. I had one student out of 24 who had ever even grew up in black church. Right. So I had to take the rest of the 90 however percent of these students and for the first two months, it was just teaching them how to sing gospel music. It wasn't, we, I didn't even do a song. It was just teaching them how to sing gospel music. And mm-hmm. I think that first two months was so critical because they started to realize, hey, we're actually learning something. Mm. And I had a student come and sit down and he said, I, I never felt like I was in a class. He was a sophomore. And he said, I never felt like I was actually learning something or anyone cared to teach me. Mm. Because they were sitting in an academic program or an academic setting where it's like, I'm giving you this information, I'm writing it on the board, and it's up for you to take it or not. And I'm not that type of individual. So that leads me perfectly to my next question that I've been just desperate to ask you. What qualities have you, did you find yourself taking from other teachers? And what qualities were you purposefully trying to avoid Mm. that you've seen or experienced as a teacher because you've you know as a student i imagine you came into this going okay i've never done this before yep um and i'm around their age and i need to uh achieve a certain level of respect from them and uh professionalism that i need to exude and i i need to you know have a certain level of expertise and all these things how do I get there? Mm. So what did you draw from and what did you recognize that you needed to avoid? Because it's easy to fall into some of those traps. So the first thing I did was I drew from Mr. Hurd, okay? Mm. Patience, patience, patience. <laughs> I had to look at teachers who had patience, Marion Drummond, Ms. Drummond at Wilson, Miss um, Stevens, patience. That was something that I've never had as an individual Mm. that I now had to get when I'm trying to teach you something and you have your phone out or I'm trying to teach you something and you're just talking. And now I realized why teachers feel a certain way, have a certain attitude because it, 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 students, they try you sometimes, you know what I mean? It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a job that takes a lot of patience. Mm -hmm. So I took, I had to, I had to draw from patience and I'm going to be honest. And it's not just because you're sitting with me. You specifically, you meet kids where they're at. How do you mean? You meet students where they're at. You don't give students a unattainable goal. You look at each student individually and you say, okay, this is student X, and let me try to help student X learn this how student X learns. Mm. And whether that was from you adopting the um, the the credit recovery program or whatever the case may be, I saw you on a day-to-day basis talking to individual students and trying to teach them or get them to understand something for them right. and not for the masses. And each and every one of my students had a different personality and a different way of learning. Yeah. And I had to assess that student by student. Mm-hmm. Then on the other side of what I didn't want to do, and this is coming now from, because at the end of the day, it is a gospel choir. This is coming from the stint of the first one from choir directors in general mm. within gospel music, within the black church. That's really I, interesting that you, 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 you draw on certain aspects of education, but that's one of the reasons why I'm doing this show is mm. that education is rooted in everything. Yes. And so you, you sit there and go, yeah, I need to learn how to be patient and how to connect with certain students, and that's what I get from teachers. But ultimately, the well that you went to the most is other gospel choir directors. Exactly. And if you were to just say gospel choir director, your first thought wouldn't be, 
education, mm. teaching, but it is. And that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Um, my great great grandfather was a very influential bishop in Houston, Texas, and his choir director. Um, even though it was a gospel choir, so let me just give you some education. So gospel is done usually in three parts. Okay. <laughs> the word usually came out very musically. Yes, there. usually in three parts: alto, tenor, and soprano. Now, for traditional choral music, we're thinking of usually a five-part or a four-part harmony, which is usually um, soprano, alto, maybe baritone and bass, or first soprano, second mm-hmm. soprano, etc., etc., etc. Right? This five-part harmony, four-part harmony, wonderful. Gospel is done in three-part harmony, which one part is easier because you can say, okay, it's only three parts you have to teach. But the other part is there's not all this other stuff going on. So you kind of have to perfect on your sound with with these three signature parts. Mm-hmm. Well, the choir director at my great great grandfather's church, even though this was a gospel choir, he used Western traditional choral strategies to teach this gospel choir. He didn't care. He was still going to have you in five parts. And he always made sure that he taught the education behind gospel music. And I also made sure I didn't want... um to be a director who was just gave my students music and was just like, sing it. That no matter what, regardless of what religion you are, whatever you do sing, there's still a meaning and a purpose behind it. And I wouldn't, I, I didn't want it to just be like, oh, here's this piece of music, sing it. Like, so every piece of music. So you're I kind of a bit of an English lyrics. teacher. Yeah. I'll take that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and, and we analyzed each and every word. And there were some times where I don't know if you saw, but I would stop my students and I would, if, if the note was right, I wouldn't go back and work on the note. Mm-hmm. I would go back and work on the words. Right. Understand what the words means. And now then perform those words, how they mean to you. Right. Oh no. Well, we, we would hear it all the time because the <laughs> choir room was just across the hall from my room. Yeah. And so sometimes that was a, a blessing. Yes. <laughs> uh, and other times. Oh, there man, I, we'd have to shut those doors because, I mean, my favorite thing about high school students is that they are um, they are at that point where they're still without any shame or without any uh, fear. Yes. Uh, even though you, you sit there and you go, oh, in high school I was afraid. No, 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 no. Because people who are in choir or mm. in singing, they come in and they go, I need to practice. Give me a Whitney song. Yes. <laughs> Give me Adele. Give me Celine. <laughs> and you go, yes. listen, listen. They're they're the first name basis Ooh. for a reason. There's not too many of them. Yes. And and maybe leave it alone. Maybe one of you will be that person. No. But the it odds, alone. it's it, this is uh it's like the opposite of Hunger Games. The odds are not ever in your favor. They're and not. Learn how to crawl before you uh, run a marathon. Leave Whitney and, and Mariah alone. <laughs> Leave them alone. You and know, like, and I think I'm a wonderful singer, but put I on Alicia Keys. Alone. Yeah. Leave it alone. Don't be too ambitious. Oh my gosh. I can't tell you how many times we have heard in my English class mm. uh, some version of Alicia Keys mm. that was just like, oh no. Yes. Certain oh things no. You, just, you just leave alone. See, sing Rihanna. Uh, yeah, and you, so right? it sounds like, wow, you've just taken the. You you've know, made Rihanna you sound good. Adele, yeah. And you sing these. Uh, yeah. I know. I know. And listen, I, leave it alone. I'm not hating because if I could sing, oh, it would be a wonderful thing in my life if I could sing. My voice is not, mm. it's not built for singing, but the <laughs> the blessing and the curse is that I have really good uh, tonal, I, I, what is that called? Like, not perfect pitch, but. You know, you're not tone deaf. You, you but understand. I can I can hear when the note is wrong, mm. and so I'm very aware of how bad I sound. Then you would be great in a choir. And so when I hear other people, 
I'm just like, oh. I need to put you on a gospel choir. And I'm sitting here trying. <laughs> those are the, no, those are the people I love. I, if you took a choir of people that could all sing, it would sound terrible, in my opinion. Mm. Ooh, everybody trying to do what they want to do. But I love putting choirs together with people who, most of the students, I, first of all, I had kids who had never sang ever mm. in a choir ever or sang at all. Those are the best ones. So my last question, did this experience as a teacher sort of change the way you viewed yourself? Yes. At first, I thought I, okay, Mr. Hurd, and the, the, well, period, the music department, period, including the principal at Wilson, both of them were like, you know, how can we assist you to help you to be able to, you know, get your credential, graduate, and, you know, do this as a profession? So at first, I was like, you know what? Maybe I have this all wrong, and maybe I really need to be a choir teacher, mm-hmm. okay? And then that fourth month hit, and students with their phones, and I just <laughs> realized this is just not for me personally, um, like, as a career. But, um, well, just recognize that that is actually teaching. It's what I call the coaster, where you start off way up here. And then it goes way, you know, just like a roller coaster, Mm -hmm. you're going to just drop way, way, way down. And around February is February to March is when you're at the lowest point. And then you hit spring break and you just start to go back up Mm -hmm. and then it slowly goes back up. And then you're about halfway up by the end of the school year. And then you have a couple months off and that brings you all the way back up. And then you start the school year way back at the top again. Yep. And then you drop again. I mean, that's just... How it is so, and I, I realizing that, like after you just said that, that's exactly how it went, you mm-hmm. know. But I realized something about but myself. But you're not you're said, not unique in that respect, so it's not like oh, it wonderful. fell apart for you. Amen. That's <laughs> but no, I, I I first really thought for the first several months that this is really what I wanted to do. Mm. But then I realized, here's what I learned about myself. No matter what, I love directing choirs. So no matter what I would do in my life, I don't care if I become the next Elon Musk and, you know, and, and I use him because that's that's one of my audits. You know, I want to run the, you know, a, a one of the largest, the largest entertainment company in the world. You know, that's that's a great goal of mine. You know what I mean? But no matter what I'll do, I, I want to continue to direct choirs like I have a known love. entertainer, Elon Musk. Yeah, I, you know, <laughs> I, I, I have a love for directing choirs sure. and I have a love for directing non-traditional choirs. Mm. I have much more of a joy in my heart when I take someone um, who's not in the culture and I share my culture of gospel music with them and the joy that it brings outside Mm. of them. So I learned that about myself, no matter what, I want to continue to Mm -hmm. do that. I also learned about myself. I said, Isaiah, this is just not a coincidence that you were, and understand me when I say this, there wasn't a coincidence why you were so good at this. And that you were in a position to do it exactly like someone allowed you so don't just do this for one year and then just act like oh you know you're just never going to do this so i had to understand that and and i'm still putting the pieces together on what exactly i'm going to take to continue from this venture because it's not a coincidence it's not a coincidence when you look at all my students grades and all of their grades every single last one of them all their grades improved Mm mm-hmm there's not a reason why every last one of my seniors, I helped every single senior with college applications, every last one of them, and all of them but one because she's going to the Navy is going to a four-year university. There's not a coincidence why every last one of my students who was even in the retention program, all their behavior has went up. And 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 cert- why? Because I sat down with each individual and it was like, let me meet you where you're at, and I want to be much more than just two-hour teacher for you. I want to be a role model for you, and 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 I I want you to do better in life. And the fact that I didn't condone it, though, you know, you would miss this class, but you still came to my class. 
mm-hmm. because you felt like there was something you got out of it. And I feel like if teachers would try to make sure that students would leave with something, then a whole lot of things would be better. Because I, my priority was that no matter what, you left my class and you got something. And that something would keep you coming back. That's, I think, a really great place to leave it. Uh, listen, when I, when my kids are old enough okay. to take your music class, we'll definitely have to keep talking about it then. Yes. Uh, before we go, I like to ask my guests to give an extra credit assignment Yes. to the pod class audience. Something, it could be... Uh, check out this book, check okay. out this show, uh, this new album dropped. It's amazing. Mm. Listen to it. What is something that you want to assign for the pod class audience? I'm going to assign everybody to go and listen to Tracy Chapman, Fast Car. Okay. That was on my spirit this morning. <laughs> and um, I have this problem with time. Okay. I have a problem with time and setting goals for myself. I have all these great ideas, but I, I don't like just... <laughs> Have one idea just and pursue that one idea. It's backwards just, planning. It's just too much. Just it's apply just backwards planning. And fast car. Yeah. Like Isaiah, slow down, bro. So that's my that's my homework assignment to everybody. It's just, hey, listen to that. Tracy Chapman, fast car. But the message behind it, hey, come on, slow down. You're going too fast. Slow down. Take some time to address what you're trying to achieve so you can actually do the work. Well, that's great. And uh, again, thank you. I'm really excited to have you come back. Oh, yes. You know, I can't just have this over without you maybe uh singing us out with something <laughs> uh you want to sing a little like a, a couple bars of your song to lead us out i don't want to do this anymore pretending that i love you and i really don't hey because i'm so tired of acting like iron man hey Cause your show did hurt me when you was with my best friend. You can take your wish and go. I don't want you here no more. Yay. Good job. That was really great. I'm glad I stayed on key. Because I couldn't (laughs) talk about all this and then be off key. That would have been terrible. They would have been like, incredible source. Fake news. I mean, I don't know. I should have sent one back. This is what an Ivy League education gets you. Poop. And you're on your phone. On your on Snapchat your feed. Honestly, it's so gross. <laughs> Ivy Leaguers are gross. Don't go. <laughs> it's not what it's cut out to be. But I feel like every college is like that. Yeah. Well, that's, a, I think, a okay. perfect enough segue. Welcome to the show. Thanks for Wait, being here. Wait, were you recording this whole time? The whole time. <laughs> I love that. So, welcome. Welcome. Uh, Myself, I've, yeah. So... I spoke, I spoke a little bit about you in the intro, and uh, I interviewed Isaiah first, and now we're going to talk to you a bit. I will say, haven't heard the intro yet, but I'm going to say I hate it. <laughs> I already hate I it. Already I already know hate you. it. You will hear from my attorney any minute. I slander. Yeah. Liable. For sure. Both of it. All of it. Slible. Slible. Uh, so... The whole point of this episode is students who have either had an active role in education or who want to have an active role in education. Now, fun fact, I'm just pulling students that 
used to be my student, so I knew Isaiah and had him as a student. Uh, I knew him for a few years and had him as a senior. I've known you, man. A like, long time. Almost half your life at this point. Yeah. Which is crazy. I don't... Prepubescent. Pre. I mean, pre. Pre, pre. You yeah. showed me those pictures. Of the I mean, pubescent was like a year ago. Probably still going Probably through Probably still it. happening, yeah. Hey, same. Honestly, me, yeah. Uh, my voice still cracks when I do these podcasts. Mm. I'll be like, yeah, I, uh, <laughs> let me let me re-record that one. Yeah, yeah, I'm still pubescent. I would like... Show the record will show. <laughs> Puberty is still going on for me. Puberty is still happening. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so you I brought you on because you have sort of an interesting perspective on education. You grew up and you were you and your sister were the first ones in your family to I mean to graduate elementary school, let alone yeah. high school and college. You're now at one of the top universities in the world. You went to uh, a charter school, and so you have some interesting feelings on that. But there was a time when you were interested in either being a teacher or an English professor, and that's recently changed with some experiences that you've had, and I kind of wanted to get into that. So uh, which angle would you like to attack first? Uh, whatever. I'm ready. Whatever part. <laughs> I'm ready for it. Yeah. Okay, so uh, let's talk a bit about your initial ambition to be a teacher okay. and why you wanted to be a teacher? Uh, I guess I wanted to be a teacher for like probably starting like high school. Like that was a, the idea. Uh, probably like senior year. I was just like, okay, what do I guess it was like towards the end of, you know, my high school career. Some people, you know, I love that people on, call it a career, my high school career, my college was. career. BS I had to go through I'm gonna say it's a career all right like <laughs> it's like a job only you only don't get paid I don't get paid I have no. to stay extra hours talk about teaching right yeah. am I right uh but yeah I don't know like I was just kind of like okay well college I might as well kind of figure out what I'm kind of interested in and I don't know teaching was always like you know when you're like you know I got into these great schools and obviously it was because of my teachers even though they would like to say you know like you did a lot of it too but well, at the same true, time, I think I got lucky with like my lineup of teachers because I feel like if one of those would have been bad, then like who knows where I would be. So I kind of thought, well, it would be great if I like gave back. And that, I mean, that's really nice. But I actually know some of the teachers you had. <laughs> OK, look, I mean, we're look, some of you're them, old enough now. We can keep that real. Some of your teachers were trash. Hmm. Look, in retrospect, yes. Did I teach myself about Mesopotamia by myself? Yes. Uh, but that's fine. <laughs> well, here's you know? my question. So, because yeah. you've always been, I mean, kind of, from a teacher's perspective, it's both really energizing and wonderful, but also kind of scary how smart you were. Um, and No, I mean, really. Please it's elaborate. Like, how was it scary? Because you, as a teacher, one, you knew you had to be on your A game for you in the class because you were going to see right through any of the lack of preparation or you were going to see through a lesson that was like, well, why exactly are we doing this? It doesn't make sense. Or if we didn't know our content like extremely well, your level of questions were going to be 
to a point where we would just have to go, oh, I don't know. And at a certain point, it's okay to say that you don't know something, but you would catch teachers, I mean, far too early in not knowing. You know what I mean? And so it it was always like, okay, I got to know. And But then there were other teachers who would go the other way, and they would kind of turn you into a teacher, right? And so I wonder if part of your initial desire to be a teacher stemmed from the fact that teachers were always kind of asking you to tutor and help or teach a small section of the class which yeah. is, and they would it was never like the easy kids to teach it was always the kids who were always struggling yeah, and yeah. if if you had a teacher that was putting you in charge of a small group it's because for whatever reason they didn't feel they had the skills to teach it so they would just pan them you know pawn them off to you yeah I mean, in retrospect now, all these subconscious like memories are seeping in and I'm about to have an attack. Um, but <laughs> just lay down on the couch. <laughs> yeah, just, have, just an exorcist moment. Yeah, uh, yeah I guess, okay, I, I will say that did happen throughout my like education, but I guess it really happened senior year because I became a calculus tutor because mm-hmm. I felt really bad. This is the story. I was like, you know, I was already looking at these schools and I'm like, all of them probably took calculus. Like, if I don't take calculus, I'm going to beat someone up. So what I did was, you know, we begged the principal. Because calculus wasn't available at your... It was, they were debating whether to take it off. Uh, So we were just... Why? Was it just... Because what ended up happening is the old calculus teacher ended up leaving and... They did uh, an online kind of like calculus thing mm. and that the, they got the scores back. It was not good. So they were like, you know, what? let's just get rid of calculus. We'll teach normal stats. So it wasn't going to be AP. And I was obviously the person that I am. I was like, it has to be AP or I'm going to beat someone up. Uh, so I'll, uh, I, I was kind of like the main person in charge of like rounding up all the kids in my pre-calc class and saying like, this is unfair. We should topple the system. Marxist. <laughs> whole whole you know like viva la revolution yeah you know can we do more math yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) uh and what ended up happening is uh we begged and begged and we got calculus but then i was the only one doing well in the class i was the only one understanding what was going on you were that person that's like we really need this class you guys and you're the only one passing literally (laughs) and everyone's looking at you like oh thanks and now i understand why you really wanted this class people's gpas were tanking and i was just like well, I feel like an asshole. <laughs> um, again, this will be the most explicit episode. Uh, so I feel like an asshole. And I ended up, you know, tutoring. I offered tutoring to my peers. And I was like, you know what, you guys like this. Is, so what ended up happening is the teacher would teach. I would understand it. And then I would translate it in a way that like, because she would teach in a way that was very like theory. And like you pretty much the te- textbook incarnate. That was mm. who she was. You know, people aren't understanding that. So I would get the theory. I would, like, read the textbook. I understood it. And I would teach it in a way that was, like, whether it was mnemonics or something else. Mm. And just seeing their faces, like, realize that this, like, really difficult-looking thing just means, like, Y-intercept form. Mm-hmm. Just a fancier version of writing that. And seeing their faces, like, light up and being like, are you serious? Because that's stupid. And just them <laughs> realizing that calculus is stupid was like something that encouraged me to like maybe even be a math teacher like it's so easy it's hard yeah like it was just like why are they complicating everything and mm-hmm. I, I couldn't answer that but i'm all like but that's the way it's written i don't know why right but that kind of like i guess that was like the moment i was like yo like teaching is actually really fun i feel like just 
seeing people find having those eureka moments i guess is what most if not all teachers would be like the mm. best like emotional like response. oh no i mean yeah. it's it's one of the better aspects of teaching when you explain something to a group of students and that not only do they get it but they understand it now enough that it almost like retroactively makes sense for all the years that it didn't make sense to them. It's almost like not only do I get it now, but I get it so well that I actually now have gone back in time at least two years. And now I actually understood what I didn't understand two years ago. And now the last two years completely make sense for me. Yeah. (laughs) It's one of those like, you're like, wow, I, I mean, I didn't mean to reach back into your, you know, adolescence, but Hey, here we are. That's great. And what's funny is I feel like as like when I was doing the tutoring, like I was also correcting because math, you know, like kind of works like a pyramid. If like you mess up one year, like right. kind of screwed. Mm-hmm. So like I would try to teach, you know, like I don't know what like integrals or like derivatives, and then like some basic like foil just like wasn't happening. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, all right, I have to go all the way back and teach foil, which you should have learned two years ago. But I wasn't mad. But you know, that was also kind of like at the same time realizing the gaps in like people's kind of like. I felt bad because, like, you're in calculus, right? But, like, you should have already known all this. And, like, no wonder it's been so hard for you because you are still struggling with, like, concepts that, like, calculus is built on. Right. Yeah. So here's one of the reasons why I had you on the show because I find it fascinating. You are a really smart kid. You check all of the boxes for the kind of person who would be a really good teacher. You had a desire, but at some point it changed you you went to an ivy league school you started uh sort of seeing the world through a different lens in your in your college experience and i'm wondering when did that start to sour for you this ambition that you initially had when was it because i i feel like you are emblematic of so many up-and-coming smart talented people who would otherwise go into education, yeah. but sort of something happens along the way. It's like filtered out of them. Yeah. So what, what can you I articulate mean, what happened? I guess like being in college, I felt like there aren't enough professors in higher education who I guess students can look up to, to like keep going in college. Or, yeah. And I feel like it's, it's a like, totally different environment. It's a, yeah, it's just, it's a lot harder. I feel to stay in a university especially like a university like mine as like someone who doesn't necessarily like fit in or like fit the image i guess of like a normal person if that makes any sense like a normal yale yeah yeah you know middle to upper class kid who's like just there well like i said you're you and your sister were the first ones in your family to graduate graduate is not the right term but you're to go through all of elementary school let alone yeah so i feel like there aren't enough professors who represent certain students certain backgrounds and even when professors who like don't come from those backgrounds try to support it doesn't read off in the same way and it's not their fault Mm -hmm. it's no one's fault but it sometimes regardless of what people might think or say an image or a background does speak for someone to connect it makes it a lot easier for them to connect on certain levels so that's why my idea was to go into being a professor and specifically an English professor, because th- that is probably the dearth of like people 
Well, it's, uh, you know, we talk about it all the time in education about how in the, in the districts, in the biggest districts in the country, in the most densely populated areas, right? You know, New York, DC, Chicago, LA, just those, you know, the who's who of districts in the country, over 70% of all students are students of color and just over 80% of all teachers are white. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's something that we are all aware of and we all talk about, but it's not really something that is really talked about in, in exactly. Yeah. And, and so that's a really interesting perspective that, you know, we talk about these kids who come from the, yeah. you know, the lower socioeconomic status or who are of color and they go to a big university and they experience kind of a culture shock. But one of the things that they're experiencing is a lack of diversity within the faculty. Yeah. I mean, I'm also one of the few, like, English majors of color, I think. Mm. I'm probably the only, I want to say, the only, like, Latino one in my grade. So that's a lot. It's not a lot. I mean, that's the thing. I feel like... Do you feel like the... Um, the whole... Like, like, the weight of being the representative? See, that's the thing that, like, kind of angers me. Oh, I'm about to get real. No, the thing that <laughs> angers me is that I feel like there is such a a propensity to like label people and like sometimes I you know people think of imposter syndrome or whatever and I don't think I experienced that until like I get into like these creative writing classes or like I get into like into these classes that I feel like I will only be as good as like a Latino writer and not a writer period. Mm. So I feel like, for example, like one of the things that like I was talking to a professor about is like how Toni Morrison is like objectively a great writer, period. Mm. But she'll only be or people will describe her as like the best black writer of our generation. Like, no, she's just like the best writer. I guess that's something that because I want to do creative writing. And that's kind of like because of this like importance on telling different stories, people will automatically like put you in a box. Whereas like. I don't want to just be like a good Latino writer. I mm. want to be a good writer, period. Like, and of course, but people want to put you in that box. So when you're, you know, you're writing something and they say, yeah, but, you know, maybe throw in a little Spanish or maybe have, yeah, them, you know, yeah, yeah. what about your POV? It's so unique. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's just like, like, I get that. But sometimes that's what I don't get. Like, I feel like people love putting these like specific lenses and that's great. But at the end of the day, like a majority of what people feel is like, so similar but that's a really tough you know and it's something that i struggle with uh especially my last career you know yeah. in writing in television where it's like oh i have an idea i'm gonna write a show about this yeah right let's say oh i want to write about I, I have a show about a character who is um you know low socioeconomic upbringing female gender yeah. binary kind yeah. of character let's just say that was the inspiration yeah and people would rightfully say things like that's not your story to tell yeah you know what i mean and so it but it's it's tough though because it's like yeah you on one hand you want to be authentic yeah. but on the other hand you also want to be like well but if you're a writer you should be able to yeah understand and empathize and learn if you need to yeah enough to write about it so it, it's creative writing is a really it's a, know, there's it's a lot a, of gray yeah, area know, like, it's a fine line as well so it's 
Yeah, because, you know, they say, like, write what you know. But mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, that's what comes easily. But, like, a oh, voice crack. Uh, that's <laughs> what comes easily. But I also feel like all writers, that's, like, the great thing about writing is, like, placing yourself in the shoes of, like, other people and, mm-hmm. like, writing experiences that maybe you aren't familiar with. But, like, there are emotions you felt before. Maybe, like, they're in a different context. But you've definitely, like, cried before. What makes it different? You know, and I feel like that's what's like great about literature. And one one of the reasons I want to do creative writing is like how it can be a unifying force. But like right now, I feel like there's a lot of pressure for writers to write in very specific lenses. It's and a very it gets, niche. Yeah, yeah. And it's a very, yeah, it's, I think of like what you said, like it's a very niche moment right now. Uh, because then, for example, if I write something where like my main character's name is Jack and he's in love with a girl named Amanda. Like, I have all the right to write that. And that's what's the irony of it all. And it's like, well, that shouldn't be your experience. And I'm like, oh, you mm-hmm. know, it doesn't work both ways. And I don't get why it doesn't. Because I personally believe that, like, if you wanted to write that, go ahead and write it. It will be harder for you to write. But if it's objectively good, if mm-hmm. it's good writing, go, go ahead and do it. But you said something really interesting uh, about you know, we've all laughed, we've all felt this way, the the emotion sort of connects everything. And I kind of feel like that's what it is with teaching too, yeah. right? You know, we have so many teachers who cannot seem to relate to their students, yeah. uh, especially, you know, that's that was my observation when I was working uh, in the charter world. Mm-hmm. You would see these teachers who just could not relate to these kids. And it's like, you don't have to have their same experience to be able to relate no, to them. Of course and not. you don't have to, the only way to relate to them isn't to pander either. Right. So you can be a person and work with them. And what I think was really interesting about your experience is how, I mean, you narrowly just by a year uh, missed this catastrophe, the year year that came after you, those kids. I mean, they couldn't keep a teacher. I, I don't know what it was about every year they moved. They, you know, they would start in sixth grade and they lost half their sixth grade teachers in the middle of their year. Then they moved to seventh grade and none of those teachers are the same as they were the year before. Then they go to eighth grade and only one of those teachers is the same. And it just, and it kept happening to that group all the way through. Uh, And so is that also sort of what has dissuaded you a little from working in, uh, you know, the, the lower high school kind of areas is just the massive amounts of turnover. Cause I know there's not like that, turnover in the higher ed level people are there for a while yeah a while oh six if they get tenure forever yeah so i feel i don't know i feel like yeah the turnover is like i guess the saddest thing because i was thinking like i had the thought of doing tfa but like i took an ed studies class and we learned that like tfa tends to like people who do tfa tend to have the highest rates of turnover it's just like this weird spot in education where we are right now. Where well, like right, because the thing about Teach for America, of, yeah, the thing about Teach for America teachers. is that it's a two-year commitment. Yeah, and so some people say, "Well, I'm just signing up for those two years." Yeah, but I feel like those two years, it's like the weird irony where we need teachers in large numbers and large quantities, but the quality of education right. is like being because like they're college kids, they're straight out of college, mm-hmm. like, and they're just the way they do it isn't the best like you're just thrown in a classroom you have to kind of figure it out and i don't think like maybe adults because maybe i'm an adult now i highly doubt that but i feel (laughs) like they underestimate how smart kids really are Mm. like 
like they i like for example when you're talking about middle school and how you connect with students like they see right through you like they know you're not going to understand where they're from mm-hmm. so when you try to like they they might not be consciously but i feel like they subconsciously know that like you're not being your genuine self and i feel like that's when kids end up like acting out like if you're not gonna be like if you want to like pander to us and be like the stereotypical like teacher then we'll be the stereotypical hood kids and Mm -hmm. like be what you thought this was you know so i feel like that's also reason i not not that i'm out i'm also like in a weird point in my life where i have no idea what i'm doing with my life so who knows maybe i will become a teacher we call that college yeah yeah exactly that that is the weird point i'm in right now uh almost done so you said something really interesting just a moment ago about how students can sort of see right through you uh they they kind of know the score they're smarter and more aware than we give them credit for uh so Seeing as how you have more recently been through this than most of us in education, or even not in education, speak to the adults out there and let us know what what were the qualities that you had? Because I know you had some really excellent teachers in, you know, some not so so excellent (laughs) teachers. Uh, Speak to the qualities on both sides of the of that coin and what it was that got you into you know, that class or got you excited or engaged and what classes you were like, oh, this is the kind of teacher where I'm going to need to teach myself and why, what were those? Okay. I mean, I guess the first thing is like, I feel like students can really tell if you're, if you know what you're doing. So like day one, maybe even first week, if you don't have your stuff together, you're Mm going to be the teacher they pick on Hmm. immediately. Like, they'll leech onto you because like someone's got to be that person right like (laughs) the sacrificial lamb like you know we're kids so i would say that like i feel like students really know when a teacher is doing it because they really like to do it versus whether they're just there to like get their masters and get out Hmm. um so i would say that or just to get a paycheck yeah by the way not to go off on a tangent but education it's like the funniest thing in the world to me it's one of the more frustrating components actually is that you can have someone who, you, you know, they'll say, oh, I'm really nervous. It's my first day of having a class. Yeah. I've, you know, I've never really, I've, I've never done this before. I'm so nervous. And you're like, well, you know, if you need any help writing lessons or whatever, just let me know. And they'll say, oh, no, 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 I don't need help with that. I have a master's in education. You're like, wait, you have a master's in something that you've, you've never done before? Never yeah. done before? Like, you really, you're a master at it (laughs) okay so the qualities of the teachers who were great that maybe you would want to emulate if you became a teacher or the qualities you want to avoid i would would say patience is a big one like just being patient with everyone but also knowing when i feel like the best teachers know how to balance their patience because in a group of kids that are clearly at different levels like you have to know when you can be patient with like the kids who need a little bit more time but also not to bore or like frustrate the kids who like maybe learn a little bit more quickly because if you bore or annoy them, then like they're kind of like your allies in the classroom, right? Like you turn to them if like you're having trouble with a lesson plan or like you're having trouble. Sometimes they are like the translators where they know all the slang, they know 
like all the, the ways the minds of a modern kid works. Yeah. So you need them on your team. So if you, maybe you think patience is key. I feel like knowing when it's okay to like let the steering wheel to someone else is literally one of the best strategies yeah. of teaching that I ever just sort of accidentally stumbled into was I, there was one year I was trying to explain something. I don't even, I don't even remember what it was. I was trying to explain it. And almost all the kids are looking at me like, I didn't like, what language are you speaking? Yeah. And I was like, guys, I, I don't know any other way to explain this. It feels like the way I'm saying it is the clearest way. Does anybody in the class understand what I'm trying to say? And like two kids raise their hand like, oh, yeah, no, I understand what you're saying. I'm like, can you can you explain it? Yeah, because yeah, for yeah. whatever reason, what I'm saying and it's just like I'll never forget the one student stood up and she looked at everyone and she only used essentially pronouns. <laughs> She's like, so what he's saying is if you take that thing and you move it over to that, then what it does is it makes it all more make sense. And all the kids went, oh. And they were like, why didn't you just say that, mister? <laughs> I was like, what language was that? <laughs> like, you're telling me what I said was unfair. Like, I feel like if I had said that, you would have just been, but yeah. You but, would have dropped out immediately. But exactly. But once I saw that that was a resource. Yeah. Oh my gosh! It became an. E- it also became a strategy yeah. for me to check for understanding. So instead of saying, you know, you know, to the class generally, do you understand? I'd say, raise your hand if you understood that. Great. Can you say it to everyone else in your own yeah. words? Yeah, yeah. Like tell them, because that was just another that way, helped. not just to check their understanding, but to make sure that everyone, all those it. other kids who yeah. weren't going to tell me that they didn't understand a word of what I said, yeah, they'd understand. Man, happy accidents. Great. I love yeah. that. Not a teacher. Never had one of those. But. <laughs> Uh, I think one of the helpful things that I liked is like PowerPoints. Every teacher does that, like a little PowerPoint. Who am I? First day of school. <laughs> but like share a little bit about not only where you went to school, but like what clubs you did. Like what are mm. you into? What do you watch? Like give students recommendations for things to watch. Like be real about like who you are as a person. I feel like is a very good way off the bat to like have a positive relationship with your yeah. students. Especially if you're teaching the upper level of you know, yeah. high school, yeah, 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 upper level middle school, you know these. Yeah, don't these tell are... fifth graders. You guys <laughs> check out the new Kardashian episode. Like that's <laughs> so good. But I mean, you essentially have adults in training. Yeah. Right. And so, what kind of adults are do you want them to become? Yeah. That's a really important thing. And if you're not treating them like adults in training, yeah, then they become. But that that's such a hard thing that teachers deal with is that. Other teachers then take it to an extreme and they just focus on the adult part. And it's like, yeah, but they're still kids. Yeah. Yeah. That's. <laughs> Your face has, <laughs> is contorting into a thousand different places. Talk about an exorcist moment. Uh, yeah. Don't be creepy. <laughs> just don't be creepy, you know? No, I thought, like, no, I didn't mean it like that. Wow. Yeah. But like. No, I just meant like yeah, where true. it's like a kid makes a mistake and it's like, hey, that's the real world. It's like, okay, first of all. It's really not the real yeah, world, but also, like, they're 14. But, yeah, I, I just feel like at the same time, there is a weird, not necessarily weird, but it is a tricky kind of line you have to, like, balance on because you are an authority figure. There is, like, this power dynamic you have to establish. Like, you're in charge. Yeah. And they can be your friends, but at the same time, I guess you have to play both roles, like, good cop, bad cop at the same time mm-hmm. because... You don't want to be their best friend because you're not their best friend. Right. And you 
you can be close to them, but at the end of the day, when you're trying to discipline them, they're not going to take you seriously. But also, if you're disciplining them on every little thing they do, right. then they grow resentful and they won't take you seriously when you want to teach and be like honest with them. It's funny, you, you said something a few moments ago that, that struck me because in terms of connecting with your students and sharing your life with them, and it made me think about something happened between your year and your sister. Your sister is a year older than you or a grade older yeah, than yeah. you. And something happened for me between those two grade levels. Um, I, I don't know what, but I didn't really share anything with your sister's grade. Uh-huh. And like they didn't even know I had you know, a, a fiancé or anything like that. Okay. Um, or a girlfriend who became my fiancé yeah, during yeah. the year. Like, they didn't know any of that. I just didn't share it. Uh, but with your grade, you were an open I mean, book. we talked about, like, oh, my wedding is on this day. and But then even years after that, it was, like, the idea of running into a student outside of school was terrifying, horrifying. Like, please, please, I don't want to run into a student. Yeah. Right? And now... It's exciting. Like, I mean, I love it so much. You know, I... Because you can I, embarrass them too. Well, it's not even that. Like, <laughs> I work in my community and there is this area, like the center of town kind of here, where everyone goes. Mm. And every time I go there, if I don't run into a student, I'm always like, Aw. oh. okay. <laughs> it's it's yeah. like so weird. And I, yeah. I, I don't know what changed, but I, I almost wonder if it's a, an age thing or an experience thing and maybe mm. not maybe the older i get the less i'll want to run into students again I, I have no idea but yeah uh i definitely understand the idea that you know no i'm here to do a job i'll connect with yeah, them but sure. only only at their level i will not keep be distance, offering yeah. but at the same time it's like how do you really connect with somebody how do you yeah. make a one-way connection yeah so i guess like uh i think one thing that teachers don't realize about the job or the career they're going into is that it isn't about all about theory or pedagogy or like trying to teach their content but it is a lot of also teaching like social interactions and like just kind of almost teaching them how to be human beings in a weird way because 100 a lot of the times you don't know what happens at home and sometimes kids feel like they need a support they need a support system somewhere and if it's not coming from their own home then they need to know that a teacher is going to be there who's a real human being who's going to be able to connect with them on that level whereas like the border between teacher and student kind of dissipates for a little bit and that's okay and you can be just like a friend or someone they can confide in and I feel like that's a thing that maybe teachers are wary of at the beginning I mean I would be too like being in charge of someone's almost like mental state as well and their emotional well-being but it's something that you also have to be aware of when you go into this career that like it's tough and some kids even and again even though you never went through that during your childhood it's that just knowing that they can go to you and like talk to you about certain things is can go miles again like that's something that they need Man, the more you talk, the more you sound like a bit of a veteran teacher. Oh, who knew? I mean, I, I don't, I don't know. It seems like there's maybe a small part of you that's maybe like, I was in a past life. Maybe in a past life, or maybe there's a part of you that's like still maybe no, thinking. No, no, not <laughs> no at all. yeah, I probably, I told you, I'm in college. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, watch me be a teacher. Yeah. So this was great. Thank you so much. Yeah, no for problem. coming. Uh, before I send you on your way, though, 
I always ask my guests no. to give. Don't ask anything. I do ask. No. I ask them to give an extra credit assignment. It can be anything. It could be check out this book, check out this show, okay. try this type of food, anything. What is something? This is where you get to really be a teacher. Jesus and Christ. as you were saying, relate to the students. Tell them, okay. oh, you should try this or uh, you know, check out the latest Kardashian or whatever yeah, yeah, Whatever yeah. it is. Uh, what is an assignment or an extra credit assignment you would like to give to the pod class audience? Okay. I'll say it's going to be a two-parter. <laughs> Man, I, people, I love when people come in and they say, okay, I'm going to give three different assignments. I'm going to give two different assignments. Everything. everything. Uh, this might be your only shot, so go for it. If you haven't seen the movie Eighth Grade... Go mm. watch it. Bo Burnham wrote it. Great film. A24. You're going to be an indie movie king or queen, <laughs> I guess. Uh, it, I feel like uh, kind of aligns with what I was talking to. Like, if you want to understand your students, social media is a big part of their lives. Mm. It's a great film to kind of understand what's worse. going on. Yeah. Right. And I feel, and I've also read some articles, it's the most accurate depiction of what eighth grade is at this moment right now. Hmm. You don't have to talk to your students about eighth grade. Just watch it, kind of sit with it. It's a great movie. Uh, also, make a Twitter if you haven't. Follow some random pages. This would be a good t- opportunity to remind everyone that you can follow me at, at Teach Me Mr. I West. On <laughs> <laughs> the what the holy trinity of social media. <laughs> uh, I really should change my verbiage. <laughs> also, I'm not going to share my Twitter because. Uh, Never mind. Uh, it's at DJ David Ghetto if you want to follow me. <laughs> and that Boy, is 100% You really went accurate. all the way to the edge and then just jumped. Yeah, like might as well. My parents did it. Um, <laughs> uh, so, it's okay, DJ, watch eighth grade. Watch eighth grade. Make a Twitter. Follow some comedy pages. <laughs> Immerse yourself in eighth grade humor. Yeah. Try not to develop a drinking problem. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I would say get a Twitter, kind of like keep tabs on like kind of what students are going through mm. and just also realize that like these are eighth grade minds maneuvering in the cyberspace. So I I would say like it might help you understand your students more. So this would be advice for anyone who has middle school or high school students. Yeah, Obviously, so like, you know, second graders Instagram, aren't going to go on Twitter. Have, yeah, <laughs> like get an Instagram, kind of delve into social media, even if you're 40, 50, 60, a retired teacher, might as well just grab it. It's in the moment. It's now you'll learn what students and what the, the young children, the hip teens are doing. But I, I, there's got to be one caveat for all the adults who do this. When you go in and see this, just really, really try to be self-aware and reflect on all the dumb things you thought and were into and felt the need to express when you were that age. Yeah. Because otherwise you're going to look at this and go, oh my God, the hope of our species is gone. gone. There's no hope we're done. (laughs) I am young and I feel that, but I also laugh at it. So like, it's fine. But you know it's going to change. Like we're entering an existential age. It's Trump's America, baby. All hope is lost. All right. <laughs> You've been waiting the entire interview <laughs> yeah. to say it's Trump's America. Congrats, it's you did it. I think joke. that's a great way to yeah, end it. Yeah, it's Trump's America, baby. We're all lost. The comedy will make no sense because guess what? Lost generation from the night, you know, between the two world wars. We're here. It's Great Depression on a spiritual level. Welcome to Trump's America. <laughs> okay. Oscar's become unhinged. Yeah. <laughs> We've lost him. So this is great. Thank yeah. you for coming. No problem. And uh, if I, again, so your extra credit assignment is to 
dive into social media, immerse yourself, understand that world, and then watch eighth grade because it really tells everyone what what, eighth grade is like, what eighth grade or what adolescence is like. Well, again, thank you so much for coming. Uh, I've said this before and and it's going to be super sappy, but uh, the relationship that I have developed with you and your sister and all, you know, that little group is just like the best thing that's happened in education. And uh, I'm glad I got to have you on the show. Yeah. To talk about. To educate educators. To educate educators and non-educators alike on what kind of view a student might have of the world around them. And I appreciate that. No problem. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Okay, that is our show. Thanks again to both of my guests, Isaiah Walker, Oscar Lopez. You can find Isaiah Walker at at Isaiah Walker Music, and you can find Oscar Lopez at Oscar underscore Lopez 98, both of which can be found on Instagram, which frankly is, uh, you know, that's where it's at. It's Instagram. Facebook, we're done with Facebook. Twitter, we're pretty much done with Twitter. Instagram, it's where the people are going, right? I also want to thank you, my pod classmates, for listening. As I've mentioned before, if you wouldn't mind, please go right to the podcast homepage on whatever platform you get the show. And if you feel so inclined, if you agree that it is a five-star show, please go ahead and give it a five-star rating. As I've said before, the more ratings my show has, the easier it will be for other people to find and enjoy the show as well. Also, don't forget to come back next week for the mini-pod episode. If you have a listener question that you'd like me to answer, Please submit them to me through social media under the username at TeachMeMrWest, which can be found on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. But like I said, Instagram's where it's at, people. Or you can just shoot me an email at podclasspod, that's podclasspod at gmail.com. Thank you again for coming back. 2019, we are going strong. Happy New Year to everyone. That is all for this week. Podclass dismissed.